Good morning. Thanks, Celeste, for that brilliant introduction. I don't know about funny, maybe funny looking, but it was, thank you. One person disagreed with it. Everyone else was like, yeah, you're right. My name is John Ravichandra. I'm the director of Youth and Young Adults here at Circle, and it's just always a privilege, always an honor, always a blessing to be able to be with you here on a Sunday morning. Uh, Whether it's your first time here or you've been here for a while, welcome, welcome, welcome home. You are always welcome to be a part of this family. And welcome to our final chapter in this series called Rooted, as we take a look at our Alliance Roots, what makes us distinctly alliance in what's known as the fourfold gospel. We explored how Jesus is our savior. We explored how Jesus is our sanctifier. And if you were here last Sunday, we explored how Jesus is our healer. You see, this is a church, Circle Drive Alliance Church, has a rich legacy and history of people experiencing healing in this community. So it was an amazing morning last Sunday seeing people come forward to be prayed for for the various needs in their life. And today, as we conclude this series, we do so at a most relevant time in our church liturgical calendar. You see, in just under a month, we celebrate the birth of the king, Christmas. I love this season. I think we can kind of sense that there's a different kind of, you know, spirit in the air. It's a time for the best festive drinks at Starbucks, all the oat milk you can want. We plan our parties. We do our decorating. Now, if you're like me, and maybe you're not the biggest fan of decorating, and it just isn't a very exciting thing for you, here's a, a pro tip for you. If your spouse asks you to help out, kids, this will work. If your parents ask you to help out as well, take two ornaments that look exactly the same, and on your tree, put them right beside each other. And I promise you, in no time, you'll be feet up on the couch watching your favorite show. It works every time. Just ask my dad. But I do love this season. Maybe for some of those things, but mostly because it also marks the beginning of a season where we are reminded of the most important event in human history. You see, Jesus, our king, he he enters this world and he changes the trajectory for a doomed, fallen, broken, sinful humanity. He takes us from our chartered course to darkness and death, and he makes a way to life and to light. And he didn't just defeat death himself, but Jesus defeats it for, well, all of humanity. It is what gives us hope. You see, what makes Jesus different from all the other kings that we worship is that this king is back from the dead. Jesus is alive, and he's coming back again. So in this final installment of this series, and in the final chapter of what we call in the Alliance Church as the fourfold gospel, we explore Jesus as our 
coming king. If you have your Bible with you in your message notes or you can read it up on the screen, we're going to go through Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. You can follow along. Here we go. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, so they meaning Jesus' disciples, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you will get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. And as they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there, staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes, and they said, You Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. For a moment, let's put ourselves, put yourself in these disciples' shoes. You see, they watched their leader get crucified. They left everything behind to follow this person claiming to be the king. And he died. And they lost all hope. The king was dead. And in a moment that comes before this passage in Acts takes place, there's this account in Luke's gospel where a couple of Jesus' disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus, and they say, we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. You see, these were people that had lost all hope. And then later on that third day, day, Jesus appears to them, risen, and you know, they're, they're doubting at first, understandably, right? They're confused, but then they realize that it's, that it's truly him. This is Jesus, and then they're filled with hope, and they're filled with joy because they're ready for the promise of this kingdom of God that Jesus had talked about in his time on earth. They're like, so, hey, about this whole kingdom thing, like tonight, what are you thinking? Tomorrow, after lunch, what's up? What's the plan here? But then Jesus essentially says, hey, it's none of your business to know when. He leaves them a parting gift, and then he leaves. So in one way, we're left in this sort of space of of hopefulness because our king is back from the dead. But we're also in this space of uncertainty because we aren't told when the kingdom of God will be made complete. And Jesus leaves. Again, just a show of hands, could you put your hand up if you have ever felt let down by God before? Yeah, I, I, I certainly have. And I imagine for these folks, there was a feeling of disappointment, confusion, and uncertainty. Because you see, even when our hope is in Jesus, I think we often relate to Jesus' followers because we had hoped that Jesus would do this or we had hoped that Jesus would do that. Luke, who writes about that account on the road to Emmaus, he doesn't name those two disciples. We aren't told who they are. And I think that's an intentional literary move that's designed 
for us, the reader. It's designed to prompt us to imagine ourselves, to imagine yourself as one of those two disciples. They're anonymous because they are me, they are you. I think all of us have or will come to a place in our lives where we feel let down by Jesus. It's the reason why so many first century Jews rejected Jesus and they refused to believe because Jesus let them down. He was not the king they had expected. He didn't rally an army. He didn't defeat Rome. He didn't even campaign for lower taxes in the name of justice. Keep in mind, this is an, this is an era which historians argue that the tax rate at the time was as high as 80 to 90 percent. You see, Jesus came. Jesus went. But Rome was still in power. Many rejected Jesus. What we need in the space that we're in, both then and now, is what Paul, an apostle of Jesus in Romans chapter 5, calls a hope that does not disappoint us. A hope that does not disappoint us. But what is hope? What is your understanding or definition of hope? We're going to talk more about that in our Christmas series, so it's a bit of a double dose here, but we cannot talk about the coming king. We can't talk about that, Jesus, without talking about hope. So what I'd like to do this morning is tee up our season of Advent, because it starts next week, but also give us some clarity in the significance of this space that we're in right now as we anticipate our coming king. But first, we need to distinguish how the word hope is used in our Western culture and how it's used in Scripture. You see, in our Western context, hope means a few things, and you can probably relate to some of these things. We think it often means wishful thinking, wishful thinking. Like, I hope it's sunny today. I hope it snows on Christmas morning. I hope I get an end-of-year bonus. That's for you, Pastor Bob. He's watching right now. We think it means positivity. You know, a kind of optimism that, you know, the best is yet to come. And the third thing is statistics and probability. Like, the odds are that the Rough Riders will win the Grey Cup next year. (laughs) See, some of us know. That's fantasy. She laughs so fast at that. You see, none of that is inherently bad. However, it's not the way that hope is used in Scripture. John Mark Comer is a pastor, he's a teacher, he's a brilliant author, and his definition of hope that he gleans from Scripture is this. The expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. The expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. It is this kind of emotional energy that's based in the future, but it's also fuel for our present. This is what Eugene Peterson says about hope. He says this, he says, hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it's a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus 
so that we are now participants in them. We're not just remembering the one and believing in the other. We are participating in the continuity of the comings. Would you underline participating? What that means is hope. Like our coming king, like this season of Advent that we're about to step into, is all about what's called the now and not yet. Now what that phrase simply means, the now and not yet, is we live in this space where the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in the now, and the kingdom of God is also near. It's not yet. It's here in bits and pieces, but it's not here in its entirety. You see, what separates us as humans from other creation is that survival is not enough for us. Survival isn't enough for you and for me. We are hope-based creatures. We need hope that things will get better. Martin Luther once said that everything that is done in the world is done by hope. And so the question for us this morning is, is not, do you hope? But rather, the question this morning is, what do you put your hope in? If you're a follower of Jesus, our hope is not based, it's not grounded in this sort of nebulous sense of optimism. It's not in anything, it's not in anyone. Our hope is in God. But to say but to simply just say it's in God, it's not enough because it's so easy for us to impart our own wishful thinking onto God. So what I want to do is let's look at an outline of biblical theology of hope in four parts. So to say our hope is in God is to say four things. And the first one is, is this. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen behind me. Our hope is that Jesus will return to make all things new. We read in Revelation He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Isaiah 51 says, Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Paul says this in the New Testament. He says, The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Friends, this is the overwhelming good news of Jesus, our coming King. But many in our generation, that's my generation, have lost the sight of hope of the second coming of Jesus. It's something that theologians call an an over-realized eschatology. And what that simply means is it's an emphasis on the now over the not yet. Very few millennials like myself and other younger Western Christians think on a regular basis about the hope of Jesus' return. Very few of us think about that. We're too obsessed and we're too preoccupied with the now that we fail to see the abundance and riches and blessing that is in the not yet. 
See, hope that does not look over the horizon to the life to come isn't Christian hope at all. As the Apostle Paul puts it, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you read the New Testament of the Bible, it's just so saturated in the hope of Jesus' return. If you read through the New Testament in the new year, and I would really encourage you to, to engage with the Advent 28-day 20, reading plan on your YouVersion Bible app, the hope of Jesus' return is literally on every page. And that's so unlike our Western culture, our Western world that has put hope in politics. We put our hope in science and technology on a rising standard of living and even substances. Anything other than Jesus, or to use a common phrase, the kingdom without the king. See, as much as we as humanity, you know, we often see the good of, you know, humans linking arms to alleviate suffering, those things, as good as they are, they cannot bring about the kingdom. Humanity cannot self-save. We can't save the world or even ourselves because we need to be saved from the world and from ourselves. There's no politician, there's no policy, there's no app, there's no gadget, there's no pill, there's no substance that can do that because they have no idea how to deal with suffering. But on a regular basis, you and I, we inject this Jesus-like hope into a person, into a politician, or a medical breakthrough, or whatever. And in the end, we're let down. You see, the gospel is that the government is on his shoulders, not ours. That Jesus is our savior, our coming king, and the bulk of our salvation is yet to come. Number two, our hope is that in the now and not yet, Jesus is with us in our suffering. Jesus is with us in our suffering. See, whatever may come, or whatever may not come, we're not alone. He is Emmanuel, he is God with us. As theologian and founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, as he lay dying, he says it well, he says it aptly, he says, best of all, God is with us. Do you believe that this morning? On November 26, 2023, do you sit here believing that God is with you? That the very best thing in this life is that through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we have access to God the Father. We are invited to participate in the inner life of the Trinity in the here and now. It's what A.B. Simpson, founder of the Alliance, calls the deeper life. We get to wake up in the mornings. We get to find a quiet place and just look look at God. We get to look at God looking at us in love, and let his love heal us and set us free. And there is nothing, there is no suffering, there is no war, there is no recession, there's no loss of job or dream or a loved one. There's nothing that can take away our access to the loving presence of God at the center of our being. 
Third, our hope is that Jesus will use our suffering. This is a wordy one. Jesus will use our suffering to form us into people of love to co-rule with him in the world to come. I'll say that again. Jesus will use our suffering to form us into people of love to co-rule with him in the world to come. See, even in those moments, for some of you, I know it's very real right now because I've sat with you and I've talked with you. I know you're suffering. Even in those moments where suffering is at its most severe, when suffering is at its most intense, when suffering is at its most acute in your life, it is not in vain. But I want to make sure I say this. See, I don't think that everything happens for a reason. I don't, because there's a lot of senseless suffering that goes on in our world. I don't think that God is in control in the sense that he has a secret plan behind all the evil in our life. I don't think he allows evil. I think he allows free will. But what all followers of Jesus from across the, the theological spectrum, what we all agree is that wherever suffering comes from, it goes to good if we open it up to God. Do you have suffering in your life right now that you need to open up to God? See, I believe that the New Testament of the Bible tells us that the meaning of life, the meaning of this life is for you and for me to become a person of love. That life itself is this classroom of the ancient Greek word that's used to describe love, agape, where we learn under apprenticeship to Jesus how to grow and how to mature into people of love, people who have the character and the capacity to co-rule over the kingdom with Jesus as he returns. If love, as defined by Jesus, who says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down their life for their friends, if love is to desire the good of another ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself, then that means that love is a form of self-giving. Love is giving up your seat on the bus. Love is getting up in the middle of the night to comfort your child after a bad dream or giving away your money to those in need. It's self-giving. If that's what biblical love is, then all love, then all self-giving is a form of suffering. Or to put it another way, learning how to suffer well is learning how to love. You see, the primary way that we become people of agape, the primary way that you and I become people of love is by suffering, and not just suffering, but as Jean-Pierre de Cassade puts it, in suffering lovingly, that is to say, with sweetness and consolation. Those things that too often cause weariness and disgust, in this consists sanctity, or in other words, holiness. That is our hope. Not that nothing bad will happen to us because we're Christians, but that no matter what happens to us in this kingdom of God, being now and not yet, we're not alone. And Jesus will use that space that we're in, yes, even in our suffering, to form us into people of love and joy 
and peace and hope. The very things that we celebrate that the arrival of Jesus brings in this coming Advent season. Fourth, our hope is that Jesus will bring good from that future world into the mess of this one. Our hope in our coming king is not just for the life that is to come, it's also for this life. Remember, the kingdom is now and not yet. Jesus can and does bring forward good from the age to come into this present evil age, from heaven to earth. N.T. Wright is a brilliant theologian and Anglican bishop, and he wants to find heaven as the place where God is storing the earth's future. I love that. God can and God does bring forward a sneak peek of our coming life forever. Life is full of surprise goodness from God. So as we anticipate the return of our king, would you keep your eyes open? They're all around you. It's in your life right now. Practice gratitude. Take note of how much goodness of the kingdom of God is already in your life. But if I'm being honest, there are times when, like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, where the emotional energy sort of runs out of fuel, doesn't it? When life doesn't make sense, when we are confused, when we're scared, when we're angry, when we're upset. You see, this coming Advent season is a time for a confused heart. It's a time for asking the hard questions and facing our dark emotions. Fleming Rutledge is a priest and an author, and she says this, we take a good hard look at the darkness we are in now, facing and defining it honestly, so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus' final victorious coming. I'm terrible at camping in the not yet for God. I'm terrible. I hate it. I hate trusting God because I'd rather have complete control over my life. You see, when COVID hit, when, when I see suffering that occur, occurs in the world, when I see the world in just disarray and chaos around me, I become painfully aware of how weak my hope muscle is. That I'm not a hopeful person. But it is in this not yet time that as we anticipate the return of our king, that God invites us to be formed into people of love, to be formed into a people that continually apprentice under Jesus. This not yet time isn't for us to just sit back and to wait. We're not in a state of passivity until the return of Jesus. In fact, we have a vital part to play in it. I woke up at 3 a.m., two nights ago, and I wrote this down, and I believe that it was a God thing. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down if you see fit. I'm gonna give you three words. They're all our words, don't judge me, don't judge God, I just listen to what he said. 
Reclaim, reflect, and reach. Reclaim. There are some people in this space today, in this room, and online watching right now. You need to reclaim the hope, the promises, and the goodness of God. Because for whatever reason, and you probably have one, you've walked away. You've been hurt. You have felt like Christians, or maybe even God, has let you down. Maybe you need to reclaim that hope. So in hope, would you believe in God? Would you trust in God? Would you wait for God? Would you wait with God? Reflect. In this time of not yet, we need to reflect the way and life of Jesus. As an apprentice of Jesus, do your actions, do your attitudes, do your motivations reflect the love, the life, and the way of Jesus? As you apprentice to Jesus, are you growing in your capacity to love God and to love other people? You see, this is the measure of true spiritual maturity. And finally, reach. As we think about Christ, our coming King, there's this clear biblical connection between Jesus' coming and the fulfillment of the Great Commission, you know, to go and make disciples of all nations. The thing that makes us unique as the Alliance Church is the heart for this mission. And that when this mission is successful, it will usher in the hope and anticipation we have with the return of our King. You see, all three of those things have, play a very active role in this not yet time, to reclaim Jesus as our king over all and apprentice under him, to be formed into people of love. This allows us to reach into the world. And you see, missions, it's not just about sending internationally, although that's hugely significant, but it also means sending into your workplace, sending into your school, into your community, into your city. I was at a conference in Vancouver in 2018, and one of the keynote speakers said that there are missionaries being sent from Egypt into Canada to spread the good news about Jesus. You see, we cannot reach people for something that we do not reflect. Friends, the king is coming. It is imminent. The time we will not know. It says that clearly. So stop trying to guess on Facebook. But knowing this, it should be impressed upon our hearts that we have a vital part to play. As you claim the promises of God, and as you learn to reflect the way and the life of Jesus, are you reaching people that do not know what you know? The world is a dark and a hopeless place. Just look at the news. But we have the answer. Jesus, the light that brings hope to all of humanity. As we begin our Advent season next Sunday, this is the greatest time in the church calendar to introduce someone to Jesus. As we reflect on the arrival of our King, would you bring your neighbor, your classmate, your coworker to experience the good news of Jesus? Dale, can I have you come back up?
See, that is our hope, that Jesus came and will return, that we're not alone, that our suffering is not in vain, and that good will come to us in this life and the next. The invitation of the gospel and this upcoming Advent season is to set our hope back on Jesus. The season that we're stepping into is not simply a season to await the coming of Christmas. And it's not simply a reenactment of ancient hopes long ago fulfilled. It's a time to renew. It's a time to enlarge our hopes, to tap into the deepest hopes of the human race for the age that is to come. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for this hope that does not disappoint us. As we anticipate the return of our King, would you form us into people of love? Would we radiate the way and the life of Jesus to reach those that do not know this hope. As we enter this Advent season, would we be reminded that even in our suffering, even in our pain, even in our despair, you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. In our, in our moments of hopelessness, would we be reminded of the greatest hope, the light of this world, our coming King, our blessed Jesus. Amen.